Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Addressed to the community of God throughout the city of Corinth, for you have been made pure, there's our, our word, set apart in the anointed one, Jesus. And God has invited you to be his devoted and holy people. And not only you, but everyone everywhere who calls on the name of our Lord, um, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and ours also. So you and I are set apart by God when we made Jesus the Lord of our life. When we became born again, right? God saves us. He makes us holy in his sight. He forgives us of our sins and he gives us the ability to walk in the power of the spirit in order to have relationship with him, in order to have relationship, have this relational thing going on between you and God. Now, some call it, call that personal sanctification. So because of your acceptance of who Christ is and you've made him Lord of your life, you are automatically sanctified before God. Got that? All right. But also at the same time, there there is also something that people call the practical sanctification. Okay? Um, And that has to do with our part in the process. This is a lifelong process which is a part of a journey of basically letting go, getting rid of the crud or the sin or the things in our life that tend to separate us from a, a, a well-connected relationship with God. Do you understand that? So there's this, this practical sanctification. Now, it's you setting yourself apart in order for God to work in your life to bring transformation into your life. Because you can get saved, right? And you can continue just having all of this crud and letting it just sit and be a part of your life. But it's not God's best for you. And so God said, you've got to do your part to to step into this setting apart this ability to, to achieve transformation so that you can become all that God's called you to be, right? Because you, have, you are so much more than you are in Christ than what you know right now. He's got so much for you and ahead of you, and he wants you to move forward to that. But if we're unwilling to set ourselves apart, if we're unwilling to sancti- uh, consecrate ourselves or, or sanctify ourselves, then you know what? We're not going to be able to achieve or to reach all that God has for us on this earth. Right? I, when I get to heaven, I want God to be able to look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, the fact that I've accepted Christ, man, I, I believe that he, he, he could say that to me. But I think there's other things that God puts in our life that he wants us for kingdom purposes to be a part of, to have our hand in, to be actively flowing and following what, he, what he's saying. And so I think in that thing, I, I, man, I, I, I'm believing that when I stand before him, that he would look at me with, with an even a deeper sense of well done, my good and faithful servant. 
Because you, you chose to set yourself apart, to live for me daily. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Okay, so he's talking to us. We're brothers and sisters. By the mercy of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourself, right? So that means your mind, your will, and emotion. That all needs to be dedicated, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. Man, I don't know if you've got this version, but even in your Bible, write it in there. It's the rational, logical, intelligent, intelligent act of worship. He's like saying it's a no-brainer. If you're following Christ, this should be a no-brainer. You should be like, I'm in. This is it. I'm good. So we have to understand it's your choice, though, because that's what he's pointing us to. And we'll look at it a little bit in a few more minutes. So this theme of being set apart or uh, consecration or sanctifying oneself is not something new. In the Old Testament, it occurs about 172 times. And then it is woven, get this, into the fabric of the New Testament. And you'll find that in many of those occasions throughout the Bible, God is readying his people for something he is about to do. Every time he says, Sanctify yourself. Consecrate yourself. He's saying it because you know what? Something's coming. He wants to do something through you. And see, that's what we're sensing in, 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 in our, our prayer times as a staff, in our teaching teams meetings, you know, what this set apart. You can say, oh, okay, yeah, we've heard that. We got to be set apart because it's a new year and all that. But we're really sensing that God is saying something different this time. He's saying, man, I got something that I want to do, and I need my people to be ready. I need them to be ready to go. So God is readying his people. And if he's readying his people, that means he's trying to ready you. He's trying to get it across to you that he's about to do something, right? And if we were to make it, let's just make it real for us today. Okay, I believe with all of this evil that's going on, all the things that we're experiencing that's in the world right now, I truly believe, now this is my opinion, but I truly believe that the New Testament church is quite possibly in the last days. I mean, you look at the signs, you look at all of that, you put it up to scripture and you're like, wow, it's coming. Now, whether that's Last day in a year, last day in five years, 10 years, I don't know. But I just have a sense that the Lord is wanting to do something because we are in these last days. I mean, just look at the world around us. I mean, can you, can you get an amen to that? Yeah. And so we've got to ready ourselves and to expect and for us to experience a move of God like never before. Truly believe that. And I don't think it's just going to be, it's going to be spiritual, obviously, but I think it's going to affect everything in this world. Every single thing is going to, about to change as he gets his bride ready to receive, right? The bridegroom. But see, that, that's in our court. 
That's our choosing. Are we going to be ready as the bride of Christ for when this outpouring of of God's spirit in the last days comes, this end time harvest, are we going to be ready? Are we going to be in that position to be able to say, oh, yes, yes, Lord, yes, I'm ready. Because me personally, I don't want to be the one that's, that's kind of looking through the, the mirror, right? You know how like sometimes you have to look through the mirror in order to separate yourself from something? And so you're looking in the mirror and you're thinking, man, I wish I, I could be in there, especially as a kid. But, you know, I, I, you just, you just kind of get like, I don't want to be one of those. That when in this last day harvest, in this thing that God is going to do, and as he starts to pour things out, that I'm not on the bench because I wasn't ready. Because I never sanctified myself. I never consecrated myself to the degree that God wanted me to. But see, he knows where each one of you are at. And he'll talk to you. He'll speak to you about certain things in your life and say, hey, these, this is something you need to get rid of. You need to kind of put that aside. So my title today is basically this, Stepping Into It. Stepping Into It. So let's pray real quick, and then we'll jump into the rest of the message. Holy Spirit, help us to learn how to step into being set apart for God. Amen. So let's pick up. Uh, again, with our theme scripture, that's Joshua chapter 3, which I told you to go there. Now, give you a little bit of background. Joshua brought Israel to the Jordan River, right? They're going to cross over it. It was part of God's roadmap of how to get to the promised land that he had promised. And so they had to go across this river. Now, I find it interesting in the text, I think it's in verse uh, maybe 3, where they had to stay for three days. And I thought, why would God make them camp for three days right at the river? Because God's God, right? God can do anything at any time. And I would think that, you know, it would be one of those things where they would get to the river. All right, what's next? Okay, let's go. But see, I think a couple of things happened. One, I think Joshua spent some time consecrating himself. Getting himself ready to be the leader of what, who God called him to be. You remember way back in Joshua 1, he said, hey, you know what? Moses is now dead. You're now the leader. He says, what, are you, what was he supposed to do? He was supposed to meditate on the, the book of the law day and night. And if he did that, then man, everything, man, he would have great success. So here's Joshua, I think in these three days, he's sitting there and he's getting before the Lord because you know what? Joshua would be the one that would always follow Moses and Moses would go into the tent of the tabernacle and he would spend time with God and and Joshua would be the one outside. But there were times that it was written that Joshua would actually go in after Moses left. And I think he had his own personal time with God. And so here he was, he had an opportunity, three days they sat. Yet, I believe he was consecrating himself in that moment. And then the other part is, is that, that the Jordan was kind of, to me, now this is my thought, but Jordan was kind of acting like a visual to, the, to the, uh, the people of Israel because for three days, they looked at what was seemingly impossible. The odds were stacked against them. 
right? This big, so at the time, at that season, it was a, a rushing river swollen with spring rains laying in front of them. And they probably thought, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get across? Now, I think in my head sometimes like, oh man, they should know that, man. They crossed the Red Sea. But you know what? This is after the 40 years of the people that went across the Red Sea. Now you've got a whole new generation. And here they are. They're right before the thing and they're looking at and going, how are we going to do this? And I think sometimes in our own lives, we find ourselves at that river. How, how is this going to happen? Lord, well, this seems insurmountable. They're, they're, how? What? I, I, I just don't seem to get it. I mean, even in the, in the culture we're in now, in the circumstances we face now, in January, coming up this week, in a sense, right? We look at it and think, how is this? How are we going to cross over? How are we going to make this thing happen? But see, I think what they were learning is, you know what? It's not going to be by their own power. It's going to be by faith. It's going to be by faith. They're going to learn the principles of faith. So here they are looking at this river swollen, just overflowing and going, I don't know how, I don't know why. And then Joshua comes and says, we're crossing over. What? Right? I mean, hopefully in in your own life, you've got some testimonies where God said, and you looked at things and, and God said, we're crossing over. And you said, okay. That, that's a testimony right there. Because, you know, people would look at that and say, oh my gosh, that is insurmountable. How did you even make that? How did, how did you cross over? Well, it wasn't me. <laughs> I mean, I just obeyed and I simply followed what God told me to do. And I got there. Right? And that, that's a testimony that happens. And we'll, we'll kind of lay a little bit more of that out. So, here Joshua is, Joshua is, he, he, he's getting the directives uh, from God, and he tells the nation to go after the ark. So he says, when the priests begin to carry it, then what I want you to do, um, I want you to follow the, the priest to the Jordan. And then he says, you know what, but keep your distance. Keep your distance, right? Keep your distance so you can keep your eyes on the ark. Now, what does the ark represent? The ark represents God's presence, God's word. Sound familiar to something we should be doing? We should be keeping our eyes on God's presence and God's word in our life. Because you can have God's word, right, in your life. But man, if you're just doing it as a routine, then you're missing God's presence. But then you could have God's presence in your life, but you have no biblical foundation in your life whatsoever, and you're scattered all over the place, and things are just all crazy and everything. So we have to understand that they, they work together. They, they come together. And so he says, you know, distance yourselves in order to keep your eyes on it. And then Joshua says again in uh, 3 verse 5. Now this is a different translation. It says, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves. That is, separate yourselves for a special holy purpose. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. So the word sanctify is the Hebrew word kadash, meaning separation of self from common things, internally 
and externally. Let me read that again. Separation of self from common things internally and externally that were unclean. Anything that would cause a hindrance or a distraction in your life when it comes to your relationship with God. I think to some degree, maybe all of us have a, a few of those. But only, only God knows and only you know. So I'll leave that one right there. Okay? But it's anything that would come and separate your relationship with God. So he says, sanctify, sanctify yourselves. And I, I honestly believe one of the reasons why Joshua said that was because, you know what? He had some spiritual insight from God that it was going to require God's people to be spiritually ready and not physically ready for what was to come next. Right? Because a lot of times we feel like, oh, man, we got to be physically ready. We got to that. But a lot of times we, we forget, no, you know what? Spiritually ready outweighs physically ready. Every single time. Every time. You know, it's like aces beat kings. Every time, I think, right? Not that I'm a poker player or anything like that. But anyways, but, but it's the same thing. Spiritual ready always, always is greater than physically ready. And so he's trying to get this across to them. So Israel had to decide, like you and I, every single day, if they were going to set themselves apart for him. So today I want to give you um, some steps into setting yourself apart in every area um, so that you can see God's victory in your life. So the very first one is make your decision. Make your decision. To decide something means to come to a resolution in the mind as a result of careful uh, you hope, right? Consideration. Right? Are you in or are you out? Right? God, God's not into fence riders. Right? He doesn't want one foot in and one foot out. That's why Joshua says, sanctify yourself for his purpose, for tomorrow the Lord will do miracles among you. Now, I'm one of those guys that just happens to look at things like this. And, and you notice Joshua didn't say that they were already sanctified. He didn't say they were already sanctified. He said, no, sanctify yourself. He wasn't saying, hey, okay, hey, you're sanctified. So, you know, hold on, put your seatbelt on, all hands inside the vehicle as we cross the Jordan. No, they were sanctified. They were the, 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 the nation of Israel. But that was, that was more positional sanctification. He's talking practical sanctification. You remember what we said practical sanctification was? Is you got to do the work. You got to sanctify yourself. You got to set yourself apart. Meaning you have to take action daily, right? To set yourself apart so that transformation can take place. So in other words, it's your personal decision and your responsibility to decide then to take action on that decision. So you have to decide. No one can do it for you. I can't do it for you. To say, you know what, I'm going I'm to sanctify myself. I'm going to consecrate myself. I'm going to, to, to put those things aside for God. I can't do it for you. No, no one can do it for you. 
But here's, here's the, the, one of the other best parts about it. No one can stop you from doing it. Right? No one can stop you from doing it. It's your choice. So, yeah, I mean, you can, you can come to church and you can listen and listen and listen and listen. But when it all comes down to it, it's all your choice. Are you going to receive that word that was given to you that God kind of highlighted in your spirit by the Holy Spirit? And are you going to choose to make the decision to follow it? Right? It's your choice. I'm going to read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 again. It says, therefore, I just listen to it. Listen to it. And listen for the you parts. Okay? It says, therefore, I urge you. So he's saying, hey, I'm telling you, you you got to do something here. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies. God didn't say, hey, I'm going to take over your bodies. He said, no, you've got to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourself, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. Again, that's your choice, right? Any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by renewing your mind. Focus on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourself what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Can you see all the, the use, right? He's putting the responsibility on you of you making a decision. So five times Paul puts the onus on us. He says, hey, it's up to you. It's not up to, to this guy or that person or your wife or your husband or, or, or your pastor, or, or your best friend. No, the, the onus is on you. You've got you to sanctify yourself. You've got to set yourself apart. And like I said before, it, Paul says, man, it's just the logical thing to do. If you really want the relationship you want with God, and with Christ, and with the Holy Spirit, then you know what? It's logical for you to set yourself apart. It's illogical to not set yourself apart. So, we have the power to decide to set ourselves apart for this final outpouring of God's Spirit on the earth, right? This, this so-called, like, kind of final curtain call in a sense. But we have the, the, the choice. Are we going to set ourselves up and be ready? And our participation in it will solely depend on our decision. I don't want us to be looking through the glass and going, man, I wish I could have been on that side. No, I want us to be actively engaged and involved with what God wants to do in these last days. I hope you do too, right? But we've got to set ourselves apart. We've got to consecrate ourselves. And here's the deal. We've got to do it with no turning back. We've got to just come to that decision. Now, for you history buffs, now, you may know about uh, this, this story of, of Hernan Cortez and the burning of his ships. But if you don't know the story, let me tell you. In 1519, he and 600 men arrived in the New World. Their whole goal was a, uh, for, to, for them to attack and invade the Mayan Empire 
because they had all of this gold, all of these riches. So that was their whole goal. And there were so many that had come before him and they failed. So he made a decisive decision that ultimately brought them victory. This is what he did. He ordered the ships they landed in to be burned. Now, if, if we were on Facebook, a fact checker might come up. Because as I was studying and looking at this at, they said, well, some say he didn't burn the ships. He actually just took the sails and took all the stuff that would cause them to do the ship stuff away and all that. So I'm just fact checking myself in case anybody wants to look that up. But the story I heard was he burned the ships. Now, why would he burn the ships? Okay. Well, Cortez knew that the only way forward was to destroy the way backwards. The only way forward was to destroy the way backwards so that there was no chance to retreat or to escape. So that caused the men to fight bravely and win. And then they ended up with all of these riches that were just so far beyond anything they could ever outspend. But, but the idea was, he said, in order for us to move forward, we had to get rid of, we had to burn the stuff backwards, right? And I think sometimes in our walk with God, it's kind of similar because sometimes we have boats in our life that compromise our ability to set apart ourselves for God. We have these little boats, right? They're easy to retreat to. They're, they're you know, that phrase, they got a boatload of excuses, right? But there's these boats. And when things get tough, when things start to kind of come at us, a lot of times we jump back into our boat of excuses. Oh, well, you know, I'm just too busy. Or I'm just this. Or, man, I don't have time for that. Oh, my gosh. But see, what we have to do is finally get to the point where we make a decision. No, you know what? I'm burning that boat of excuse. Or I'm burning that boat of whatever lifestyle I've chosen or whatever things that I do that I know aren't pleasing to God. That's part of making the decision. And so we've got to, got to be able to look at it and say, man, you know what? I might need to burn some boats here in my life. And so I just encourage you, if that's you, start thinking, asking. You know, I, I love it because you can always ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are some boats I need to burn? And he's always wants to tell you. Because his whole goal is for you to have that connection with God. To, to have a deeper relationship with God. Let's go to our second point today. Second point is be determined to follow God. Be determined to follow God. Now, this is exactly what Joshua and God's people did. It kind of give this, gives us a relevant example for us to follow. Let's look at Joshua chapter 3 verse 6. Joshua said uh, to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over the river ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. I love that. Action. Is this what God says? Yes. Okay, let's go do it. How often do we not do that? How often do we even read scripture and it says, do this. And we go, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do this. Well, I, I just love, I, it just jumps out at me every time. Maybe that's an issue that me and God have. But it just jumps out at me all the time when I read that and, they, and people just follow what God said or follow what Jesus said or, you know what I mean? It's just like, duh, you know, for me. Anyways, 
Giving you too much information. Anyways, so, so they made a decision to sanctify themselves, and now it was time to put action to the decision. So let's see how they did it. Joshua 3, 2, and 4. It said, And it happened at the end of three days that the officers went throughout the camp, and they commanded the people, When you see the Ark of the Covenant, Okay, again, that represents God's presence, God's word of the Lord, your God being carried by the Levitical priests. Then you shall set out from where you are and follow it. Okay, Uh, New King James says, go after it. I love that phrasing because man, you know what? You got to go after it, right? You got to do the Nike thing. Just do it. That's basically what he's saying. So they stole it from the Bible. Anyway, okay. Verse 4, however, there shall be a distance between you and, uh, and it of about 200 cubics or 3,000 feet or 10 football fields, right? 10 football fields. Can you imagine? Okay, picture 10 foot. That's a long distance, right? But there's probably a reason behind that. But they're able then to keep what? Where is it? Where, 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 I'm following it. I'm going after it, right? But that's, that's a pretty, pretty far distance. It says, by measure, do not come near it so that you may be able to seek the ark and know the way you are to go for you have not passed this way before. So in other words, don't get ahead of God, Right? Because they could have said, oh, yeah, man, we know where we're going. Let's go. No, he said, no, 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 no. Don't get ahead of my word. Don't get ahead of my presence. But keep your eyes and your focus on me. Don't get ahead of God. Keep your focus on him and have faith in his word. Have faith in what you're reading in your journaling, in your, in your times with the Lord. Have faith to believe. Okay, this is what God's saying. So, it's us following his lead and not the other way around. It's us following his lead and not the other way around. Remember what Psalms 23 said, right? It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, when he is your shepherd, that scripture tells us that what does he do? He leads. He leads me beside the still water, right? He leads me in paths of righteousness, he leads, not we lead, but as a, as a sheep, we let the shepherd lead. And so it's always better to be a half a step behind than a half a step ahead of God. And you can do that. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take a decision. But you can do that. You can be a half a step behind him. Why? How? By keeping your eyes on the word, keeping your eyes on his presence. And he'll guide and he'll direct you wherever you need to go, whatever you need to be doing. He will speak. He will reveal. He will show. But it's based on a decision. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are allowing themselves. That is so key. Right? I mean, man, if you just like take that home with you. For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Did you catch that? Are you allowing Him to lead you? 
right? You've got to let him lead. Don't be stubborn. Just don't. That's, that's such a key, right? We've got to be able to turn the reins over to him and not be stubborn and go, no, I think I, because it's, it's an automatic thing for us to automatically think we can handle it. It's just automatic. That's kind of what's, I guess, born of the flesh. But see, it takes the spirit for you to be able to stop and say, no, let's see what God has to say about it. Let's see where God leads with this. Let's see where God wants to take us to. But man, I'm just going to tell you, it's a decision that you have to make, right? So if you, if you got a boat that is full of the excuse of being, oh, well, I'm just stubborn. That's just the way I am. I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm my own person. I can do it. Then you ought to burn that stinking boat. Just burn a thing. Let it just decimate itself. Because God wants you to follow him, right? To let him lead. So then let's see what happens, okay? The Israelites decide to set them apart. They're determined to follow God. And then in Joshua chapter 3, verse 14, 16, and then we'll get to 17 as well. And so, so when the people set out from their tents to cross over the Jordan with the priest who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, verse 15, and when those who were carrying the Ark came up to the Jordan and the feet of the priest carrying the Ark were submerged at the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters which were flowing down from above stopped. Can you, man, that's, that's just, man, can you imagine that in a movie? Just, right? It just stopped. And rose up in one mass a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside uh, Zer- Zeranath. Verse 17. And while all Israel passed over on dry ground, the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Now, don't miss this. Because as soon as they began to follow his directive and move, what happened? God began to move. But if they chose not to... God might have not have moved. They, they might have been more than three days looking at that, that, that river. But as soon as they followed, as soon as, man, those, that foot hit the, dry, the, the riverbed, man, what a picture that must have been. Too bad they didn't have selfies back then, right? Because they all have been like, hey, look at this. This is awesome. Sorry. The moment, man, just that moment, their feet hit the river. Faith was activated. See, this is going to, be, to set yourself apart is going to take faith. Right? It's going to take your, your commitment, your dedication to it. But it all happened because they followed the leading, right, of God. They followed the leading to be set apart. So then from there, Joshua appoints 12 men to pick up these boulders inside the river, put them on their shoulders, and then what they did is they ended up building this memorial out of the stones in the Jordan. It says that it's still there to this day according to the Bible, and so I'm going to believe that it's still there because I've never been there, right? But why did they build it? Well, they built it so that they could acknowledge and see 
and remember what God had done. Not physically, but spiritually. Such a key. Such a key because what, what follows in the, next, in the next few moments here. It's such a key to remember that. It was not a physical thing. It was a spiritual thing. So it was to testify of God's faithfulness and to build their faith. Even though, get this, they were still not in the promised land yet. They still hadn't got all the things that God had promised. But yet, they could look at that thing and go, God is faithful. God is faithful to what? He has promised. And then not only that, the Bible says, so that they could also tell their children and their children's children about the faithfulness of God. I, I remember back in, in certain times of our, 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 our life and our marriage where we've had some struggles, some things happened, and God came through in so many ways that we start, started keeping lists. Man, God met this need, met this need, met this need when we needed it most. Why do we keep the list? So we can go back to it and say, look how faithful God is. So man, start building your own memorial thing. Start thinking about all the times that God showed up and showed off in your life, right? And then that just keep, have it there. And then when you face a situation, a circumstance that seems so insurmountable, man, go back to that thing ASAP and go, yeah, but God was so faithful right here. God was so good to us right here. Oh my gosh. So if he was good to us here, then he's obviously going to be good to us here because that's who he is, right? And then, you know, check your heart, get it all cleansed out, make sure you get all the crud, burn the ship, whatever you got to do, and, and, and keep, keep moving forward. And so, let me read you this scripture. I, it's not on the board. But, but a whole lot of this reminds me just of, of, of Zechariah 4, 6. And it says, it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Right? It says the Lord. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. Man, that's how we got to live our life. We've got to be able to walk that out. So we can't lose sight of that truth. We have to make that decision. Right? No turning back. We got to follow the Lord. No turning back. And then once we do, it will set us in a position to see God spiritually do in our life what in the natural seems impossible. Let me read it again. It will set you in a position to see God spiritually do in your life what in the natural seems impossible. If you're one of those people that struggle and think, man, God's not doing anything, um, you know, in my natural realm, well, then you know what? You might need to begin to kind of Focus on this spirit, spirit realm, the spiritual walk with the Lord. Because when you start walk, focusing on your spiritual walk with the Lord, he starts moving things around in the natural. Things start to change. But if you just constantly keep seeing things natural, 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 and no movement, even though I'm praying, God said, no, I need you to go deeper, which is going to bring me to my last point. I'm going to need you to go deeper. And so the last point is position yourself to fight. So in this whole setting yourself apart, one realize, you know what? I've got to, I've got to make a decision. Am I going to set myself apart or am I not? If you decide to make yourself, decide to set yourself apart, then decide to follow God. And then this last point is position yourself to fight. Okay. Now, again, we're not talking physical fight. We're talking a spiritual fight. 
Because once you make this decision to set yourself apart and are determined, and are determined to follow God, let me just tell you, you are going to have battles. You are going to have spiritual fights that will test your decision. That will test your moxie. Oh, yeah? Oh, you think you can set yourself apart from God? Well, let's just see what happens here, right? I mean, have you ever done that? Have you ever been in those? I have. Hopefully, you, you, you can at least recognize that anytime you say, man, no, man, I'm giving my life to the Lord at a greater level. I'm pressing in. I'm doing these things. You know instantly the enemy will come and say, oh, yeah, let's see if you really mean this. Every time, right? But he's going to test your decision. He's going to test your determination to live a set-apart life. Those boats will all of a sudden start coming up to your shore like, hey, jump in. Jump into my boat right here. But you got to be able to say, no, I burned you. I burned that boat. I ain't, I ain't backing out, right? And so after Joshua and the people of Israel crossed Jordan, they faced a huge spiritual fight, right? In their very first city that they came to, which was, I think this whole Jordan thing and the spiritual thing was all setting themselves up for this. And I really believe if they didn't pass this test, then all the other fights might not have gone the way they were supposed to. Because this fight was totally different than anything they would ever experience. Because by God's design, God said, no weapons. No hand-to-hand combat. Nothing at all. Don't want you doing it. Right? When, when, when you're in the army or whatever, you're like, no, I got to use those things. That's what they've given them for me. I, 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 that's how you win a battle. God's like, nope, children of Israel, people of Catawba, recognize it's not necessarily, or it's not, hand-to-hand combat, weapons, it's a spiritual fight. Now, we have spiritual weapons that we use in the spiritual way, but it's not, we're not using them, you know, physically. So, let's... Let's see what happens. Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Right? And when it's a spiritual fight, you know, we, we really are told to hold on to the spiritual truths if you look at it in the Bible. If you, were, you, you read your Bible, it'll say, hold on to these spiritual truths. These spiritual truths, you know, that's why it takes you through the weapons in Ephesians. The armor of God. Takes you through all these things. So it says, hold on to the spiritual truths and the promises of God. Okay? No matter the impossibility. That's key. No matter the impossibility. No matter how big it gets. No matter what it looks like. Just, you know what? Keep holding on to the promise of God. The spiritual truths. So here's how it played out. Verse 1, now Jericho, a fortified city with high walls, it was actually like a two-layered wall inside. It was thick enough to where they could drive chariots around it, and it had apartments kind of connected to it. It looked impenetrable and really impossible to take. So they get there, and they see that it was tightly closed. Now, I love this, because this is who God is, right? It says it was tightly closed because of the people's fear. Whose fear? The people inside the, the Jericho, not Israel's fear, right? 
So it says it was tightly closed because of the people's fears of the sons of Israel. Man, they hadn't done nothing. They didn't draw a sword. They didn't knock, you know, some their king out or whatever, you know, secretly or anything like that. No, just because they crossed over the Jordan, all of a sudden it was, there was chatter. Ooh, they got someone backing them. They got someone who, man, can move rivers. Right? So here they go. The, it says, of the sons of Israel, no one uh, went out or came in. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given you Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty warriors. Now you shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do this once each day for six days. Then God goes about and gives some pretty kind of strange instructions, I think. Right? But he tells them all to get in a formation, start to march towards Jericho. And, and what's really cool too, in that process, I, I believe that they were walk, walk, when they were walking, they saw the memorial that Joshua had built and kept reminding themselves, if God did that, he certainly can do this. Right? So then, in verse 10, it says, but Joshua commanded the people. This to me is crazy. You shall not shout the battle cry, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word come out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So seven days, because they went around one time and then they went around and then, that, and then they shouted. Seven days they were to circle the huge impenetrable wall, not talking, while the priests, it says, led with the ark and then they had the sound of the trumpet or worship going on. And all of that was to remember that this is a spiritual fight. And God can do the impossible. But notice he had to keep their mouths quiet. Why? Well, maybe there were still some things in them that would lead them back to the boat of excuse or whatever. So he tells them to be quiet. So day after day, right, they went back. I'm sure they went back to the camp tired after walking, because it was a pretty big city, after walking around. And I'm sure their minds probably swirled with the impossibility of, of this impossible picture of that wall, probably thinking, okay, yeah, I know God did this, but man, I, how is he even going to do this? This is like totally, why are we doing this? How? how what? How's God going to do this? And I think in some ways, you know, you and I are no different. We get a, a promise of, from God. We get a word from the Lord that we feel that he's speaking to us. And a lot of times, you know, we encounter those kind of same thoughts. Man, is, can God really come through for me like that? If I really do this, he'll do that? Guy, is that really true? Right? The enemy comes in. Right? And attacks from all sides. And, and, I, and I, I, all I remember, and I, excuse me for not knowing exactly what it says in the Bible, but all I can remember is from the veggie tale, uh, the walls of Jericho, where they were yelling and screaming and throwing ice cream cones or whatever down at them and saying, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, you guys are going to lose and all that stuff, right? So I don't know. I can't remember whether or not they faced people making fun of them, saying, why, why are you walking? What's that going to do? How are you going to win? How are you going to beat us? We're in an impenetrable city, a wall. But yet, they kept going, right? They kept going. 
And, and you just know that it, when you make this decision, it will escalate, like we said before. The enemy will come and he'll try to do it. But man, you got to realize that your victory over them is based on what you do. And you can't retreat. So Joshua and the Israelites positioned themselves each day as they came and went. They walked past the memorial stones reminding that God does the impossible things, right? For seven days, they repeated the cycle. Wake up, meditate on God's word, and remember God's faithfulness. Then venture out, face impossible challenges, remind self of God's word, and worship and remember God's faithfulness. Then return and rest and meditate God's word and remember God's faithfulness. Sound like what we should be doing every single day we go to work, every single day that we live? Yeah, it does. What a, what a great reminder. And then in, in verse 15 and 16, it says, Then on the seventh day, they got up early at daybreak and marched around the city in the same way seven times. Only on that day, they marched around uh, the city seven times. And the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So what happened? Man, this explosion of a shout of faith. Because every single day, for six days, they kept going back to the word. Every single day, they kept going back to God's faithfulness. Every single day, they kept reminding themselves of who God is and what God said. Every single... To the point where all of a sudden now there was enough faith built up inside of them to where, man, when they shouted, it released a wall-leveling faith that just brought it all down. That's exciting. But see, we've got to understand for our own lives, we've got to be able to do the same thing. Even if it's for the full week, get up, spend some time with God, meditate on his word, remember his faithfulness. Go out into an impossible world, into an impossible situation, meditate on God's word, worship, and remember God's faithfulness. Come home, meditate on God's word, rest. Remember his faithfulness. Man, that, that is so in our wheelhouse to do. It's not just certain people can do it. Every single one of us have the ability to do exactly what I just described. But it all comes down to whether or not you're willing to step into it. Whether you're willing to make the decision to do it. Because God's ready. Oh, is he ready? But it's up to you and I to ready ourselves, to position ourselves, right? That, that's why there's 21 days of prayer and fasting that we started last week. Man, it's just a springboard. Not, not you know, we're hoping that you're not involved and engaged in it just, you know, because, oh, I have to. The church said I have to. But that you're actually saying, yeah, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. And so then from that, from that moment, you're springboarding a... a, a um, a routine into your life where when 21 days gets over, you're not like, woo, praise God, I don't have to do that for until next year, right? But you're actually like, oh my gosh, I can't live without this stuff, right? 
And, and I think I've said this before. You know, you, you sometimes wonder like, man, why don't I hunger for the things of God? Well, you know what? You, your hunger occurs when you're in the things of God, right? Why, you know, because like the more you read God's word, the more you'll hunger for it. The more, more you're in God's presence, the more you'll hunger for it. The more you see God doing things in your life, the more you'll hunger for it. But see, what happens is when we're not doing those things, we don't hunger for it. And then we think, well, I really want to hunger for it. How do I hunger for it? We'll get into it. Oh, see, it's kind of reversed. Because you think like, oh, I'm hungry. Then, you know, I need to get something or whatever. Well, your appetite will grow for God's word once you're in it. It's just the way it works. So, again, like I said, it's just important that if you're joining us on the 21 days of prayer and fasting, then, you know, keep going. Keep doing it. Set yourself apart. Consecrate yourself. Sanctify yourself. If you have not started, guess what? You can start today. You can start tomorrow. Okay? You can start Tuesday. Just start. Right? Just, just, just step into it. And say, okay, I'm going to make a decision. Let's see, how many days would we have left? We would have maybe 14 days, maybe it's 10 days, whatever it is. I've got 11 days left. I'm making a decision to set myself apart, to spend time with God in prayer, in, in meditation. Maybe, man, burning a boat that I don't need to have in my life, you know, or, or getting rid of something. And I'm, I'm just going to go for it. And then expect... The enemy's going to come, and he's going, oh, yeah, how committed. I want to see how committed you are, because I don't believe you're committed. And then you say, no, man, I'm ready, man. I'm, I'm ready for this fight. And you stick with it. And will you face challenges? Yeah, probably so. But, man, there is such a sweeter reward on the other side. Such a sweeter reward on the other side. Instead of giving up, going back to your boat of excuses, and then just Wishing, God, I wish I, I, I did it. Then the wish thing. But man, you do that, there's such a sweeter reward, right? And it puts us then just in that position that when God's ready to outpour his spirit, when man, revival hits, you're not the person looking through the glass mirror going, man, I wish I was a part of it. No, you're, you're in the middle of it. And you're like, God's doing that through me? What? That's exciting stuff. And so I'm excited. I don't know about you. That's why I got a smile on my face. I'm excited. Because God really does want to do something. But see, you've got to make the decision. You've got to step into it. No one can do it for you. Right? And no one can stop you from doing it. Amen? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe. And check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.